All right. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. So glad you're with us this morning. Uh, first thing is, what do you call a cow who was hit by an anvil? A flat iron stake. What do butchers use to keep their tents down in the wind? Stakes. A man walked into a butcher shop and he sees a, a stake hanging from the ceiling and the butcher tells him, hey, if you could jump up and touch that stake, stakes are going to be on the house the whole week. But if you miss it, stakes are going to be on you for everybody who comes in here this whole week. The guy thinks about it. He decides against it because the stakes were too high. We were diving into Romans this morning. And remember, Romans is like a ribeye steak. Man, it really is. Uh, so we can't wolf it down like a burger or a glass of chocolate milk. We got to cut it up into small bite-sized pieces so that we can chew on it. I mean, we, we could savor it. Uh, we, can, we can pull out of it all of the rich flavors. You know, we got to mull it over. Uh, and, and this is perhaps nowhere more true than the passage we're looking at this morning. This isn't, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's not the kind of passage we're looking at this week. You know, this isn't milk warmed up in a bottle uh, for us. No, this is a passage of depth and nuance, and it draws together the whole of Scripture to present the gospel to us. And it's of immense importance for, uh, because it's the understanding of how the gospel works in legal terms. Because we've been in Paul's courtroom here uh, for three chapters since Romans 1.18, where he began to build the case against humanity, uh, including us um, in this case. And, and now as we come to Romans 3.21, uh, this is now where he's going to finally present the heart of his argument. Um, and as our heads are, you know, kind of drooping from the weight of the condemnation <laughs> that, that Paul is kind of laying on all of humanity, uh, Paul then drastically switches now uh, from the prosecutor to the defender. Uh, and we'll see this as we recap from last week's beginning in verse 19. And then we'll see this dramatic shift happen uh, beginning in our passage this week in verse 21 of uh, chapter 3. So we left off last week uh, with verse 19 and 20. I'd encourage you, open up a Bible uh, or open up your device as you're listening, uh, because we're going to be just like crawling through this passage, you know, kind of verse by verse, taking it bite by bite. Um, and it's going to really help you if you've got it in front of you as we're going through it. So beginning in verse 19 and 20, Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the works of the law, no human being will be justified, meaning made right, meaning vindicated, or to help you remember it, just as if I'd never sinned, justified. No one is justified through works of the law because the law shows you your sin. It reveals it. It doesn't cover over it. It doesn't cleanse you of it. Remember, it, the law is the white glove test that reveals the dirt that's there, and we've got dirt on us. So the glove doesn't cleanse you, it just shows you that it's there. 
Um, and so the law serves, as Paul says, to stop every mouth as they are held accountable to God, who is the ultimate judge. And the sentencing due you by the law is guilty, guilty on all accounts. And the full force of God's law will be brought to bear upon you on that day. And then, <laughs> beginning in verse 21, Paul writes, but now. But now. Three chapters of being sure no one thinks they are the exception. Three chapters of destroying any notion that we may have of being good or worthy. Three chapters of demonstrating our pitiful state. Paul transitions with, but now. And what follows here in Romans 3, 21 through 31 is one of the best and most in-depth and yet succinct gospel explanations in the whole of Scripture. And we'll see that the gospel is about God. It's about God and what he's done. So Paul begins, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made known. It's been revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Paul says. Manifested in whom? In Jesus, whom the law and the prophets bore witness to, the one through whom we receive righteousness through faith in him. You know, it's getting to be pool season now, and you're going to need to get your pools ready, those of you who have them. Um, and an important part of that is the pool filter and chlorine, uh, which cleanses the water and, and, and sanitizes it. The chlorine gives its sanitation to the water. It's imputed to the water as Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. So it is in him that we are made clean. We receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're made righteous through the manifest righteousness of God. And we see revealed in the gospel accounts uh, that this is Jesus. We see Jesus revealed. And that's what God's righteousness looks like. We see in his life, his ministry, his going to the cross, his resurrection. That's how it's known. That's how it's revealed. He manifests the law in his life. He manifests right living before God. And through the cross and resurrection, it is now made available to us, as Paul says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For whom? For all who believe. All who believe. Paul goes on, for there is no distinction. It is for all who believe. There's no distinction, for God shows no partiality, remember. It is available and, in fact, necessary for all to believe, because Paul goes on, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the great culmination of what Paul is showing through Romans 1.18 through 3.20. All have sinned and fall short of, of what? Of being decent? of being okay? No, we fall short of the glory of God. That is the standard. It is perfect and we are far from it. So instead of earning our salvation, we've earned wrath. But thank God through faith in Christ, we can receive his righteousness. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. 
And grace means, and we see it here, it is the unmerited favor of God. It is a gift. You see, mercy is not receiving what we deserve, and grace is receiving what we don't deserve. By his grace as a gift, we are justified, just as if I'd never sinned. We are vindicated. What was once pinned on us has been pinned on Christ Jesus while he was pinned to the cross. For us, he became sin who knew no sin. And because of this, we receive his justification as a gift. That's the grace of God. Paul goes on, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace as a gift through redemption. What a wonderful word, redemption. It had its origin um, in the release of of, prisoners of war um, on, on payment of a price. Okay, the the ransom that was paid, the redemption price that was paid for them. It was extended to include the freeing of slaves. Again, by the payment of a price. Um, Among the Hebrews, it could be used uh, for release of a prisoner under sentence of death. Uh, In the law, we find an example of this in Exodus chapter 21, uh, verses 29 through 30. Uh, God tells Moses, he says, but if uh, the ox has been accustomed to gore, Uh, in the past, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in. Uh, So this ox, if you've got an ox and it likes to gore people with its horns, and the owner's been told, hey, keep it in, don't let it out, and it gets out and it kills a man or a woman, uh, the ox shall be stoned, shall be put to death. And its owner also shall be put to death, because the owner's negligence cost the life of an innocent bystander. Uh, Verse 30, if a ransom is imposed on him, the owner, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. So if a price or or, a ransom was imposed on the owner of the ox, then he shall uh, pay the redemption price to redeem his life. It had to be paid. Otherwise, his life would be forfeit. And the law also reveals that the wages of sin is death and the redemption price of sin is blood shown in the sacrificial system. So we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, that redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Whose blood? His blood. Who put it forward? God. It is a work of God by God to be received by faith. It's a gift. Now, now this word propitiation, we've talked about it before, but it means to make atonement. It, it carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction specifically toward God. And the word Paul uses to mean propitiation um, is a little different than, for, the, for example, the word uh, John uses in 1 John 2 and 1 John 4 for propitiation. Uh, they mean the same thing, uh, but Paul is conveying something beautiful here because the word uh, he uses is a word that's used only one other time in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5, uh, which some believe Paul also wrote Hebrews. Uh, but it is, uh, it is the, the Greek word for mercy seat, as the New American Standard Bible translates it. And I kind of like their, their translation uh, better. Uh, they translate it as atoning cover. So if you read the ESV, it'll say mercy seat. The NASB will say atoning cover. Uh, and atoning cover, I think, is a little bit more accurate in, in what it actually means. 
Um, and it, this is the same word, the same Greek word used in the Septuagint for the atoning cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament so that the Greek-speaking Jews throughout the Roman Empire could read the scriptures um, and understand them if they, didn't, if they couldn't read uh, Hebrew. Um, so, so this is what the Jews in Rome would have likely been reading the Septuagint. And so this is the same word that Paul uses for propitiation as for the, the, the atoning cover, the mercy seat on the Ark of the, of the Covenant. Uh, in Exodus 25, to give you just a better idea of what this is, God is giving Moses instructions for construction of the Ark of the Covenant. And we read beginning in verse 18. And this is in the, uh, the NASB. We read, You shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the atoning cover, or mercy seat. Uh, that's the word Paul uses as propitiation. Okay, make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the atoning cover at its two ends. And the cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the atoning cover with their wings uh, with their wings and facing each other. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the atoning cover. Then you shall put the atoning cover on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony, which I will give you. There I will meet you. And from above the atoning cover, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about every commandment that I will give you for the sons of Israel." This is God speaking to Moses. It's a pretty in, in, incredible picture here. Um, and so let's look at Hebrews 9 for, for a great explanation of how the atoning cover was, was crucial beyond the fact that it's where God spoke the law to Moses <laughs> over the Ark of the, of the Covenant. Um, in Hebrews 9, uh, 1 through 10, we see another uh, purpose for it. Uh, and so the author writes, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship, and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the tabernacle. Okay, the first section in which were the lampstand uh, and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden alt altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat or the atoning cover. And the high priest would only go in once a year to sprinkle blood on it, on the atoning cover, on the mercy seat. And they do it seven times. So it was a blood offering for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So we're back to Romans, verse 24. So we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, an atoning cover. That's, that's the word used here. And it wasn't you know, the blood of rams or of goats. It was by his blood to be received by faith. The atonement covered us by his blood. He is the one who made propitiation for us, who atoned for us, covered us. For as Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, 
Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The mercy seat, the atoning cover would be sprinkled with blood once a year. But now, (laughs) but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So these things from the law and the prophets are all bearing witness to the manifested righteousness of God. They bear witness to Jesus. Do you see how Paul, being inspired by the the Spirit of God, is trying, trying to tie it all together, showing the beautiful congruence of Scripture? It's amazing. Moving on in, in Romans 3. Uh, so God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Uh, this was to show God's righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He had passed over former sins. Does that sound familiar, the Passover? It should sound familiar because by the blood of the lamb, the angel of death passed over the homes of the Hebrew people. So we're seeing all sorts of Old Testament references here. Paul is connecting all the dots for his Jewish readers from the mercy seat to the Passover. This gospel is intimately connected to the Old Testament. This is the fulfillment of all they'd been hoping for and looking towards. And Paul is intentionally quoting and referencing and alluding to the whole of Scripture to show the necessity and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we desperately need Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The one who those who came before Jesus, they put their hope in that coming one. And as Paul says, in in God's divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Those looking to the redemption were passed over, just as us looking back to the redemption can be passed over through our faith in him. Ultimately, all eyes from Adam and Eve to present day are fixed on the cross looking forward or back. It is the way of salvation by faith for all who came before him and all who came after him. He made a way. That's the power of the cross. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is about God's righteousness as the one who is just and capable of being the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's all about him. Again, it's all about him. So if you're looking for a religion, you know, to beat people over the head with, uh, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) We come humbly. We come There's no other way we can come. We come humbly before him because he did it all. Then Paul, verse 27 says, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. We can boast in nothing but God, because who are we? Who are we? Simply those wretched people in need of a Savior, but praise God for his redemption of us. So as Paul says, our boasting is excluded. You can't do it. Then he asks the question some might be thinking when Paul starts excluding things. Uh, By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. By the law of faith, boasting is excluded. Verse 28, for we hold that the one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is hugely important. 
This is all about God. It, it is his finished work, his initiation. The gospel is about God and what he has done and not about us. Our only contribution to salvation is being those who need it. <laughs> we are justified, made right, made just as if I'd never sinned by faith alone. And Paul spells it out for us by faith apart from works of the law. So faith plus works? No, faith alone. Our works, which there should be works, <laughs> uh, but they are, uh, these works are a byproduct of our faith. Right? Our works have no way of justifying us because there's no way we can ever earn our own salvation. We are broken to the core. It is faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone. So boasting is excluded. There's nothing we've done to earn it. He did it all. And so yes, in our faith in Christ, we have works, absolutely. But that's not the, what brings salvation to us. There's nothing we could do to earn it. He did it all. And I tell you what, this is the most freeing thing. This is the most freeing thing in this life. It is good news because religions of men, religions of men teach you that you're saved by works. You know, if we, if we just try hard enough, if you just do these things we tell you to do, and if you, if you give the right amount of money, you know, maybe it'll take a thousand lifetimes, maybe it'll take one big action, you know, you do sacrificing, you know, uh, for, for the faith, you know, that, that one action might save you. Um, you know, we see this in every religious system, in every cult system of belief um, that is void of the gift of God's grace. These things pop up, and in these systems, you're always keeping this mental score in your head. Okay, I did more good things than bad things today. I'm in the black. That's good. But, but tomorrow, if I do more bad things than good, I'm in the red. Oh, no, what do I do? I better pick up my game. Uh, maybe I got to do something drastic. Otherwise, I'm going to be in deep trouble. But don't worry, you know, young man. Let me, the teacher, tell you how you can uh, work yourself out of this hole you've dug yourself into. Okay, and then you could just see how these religious leaders take advantage of people in this way. And, and there's this immense control that happens, and there's this immense burden that is put on people. They're, they're enslaved by the system of works, and it's suffocating. And some of the worst offenders of the 20th century we see were communist dictatorships, when it's this forced worship of the state and the state's leaders. But we can look back to the days of the Inquisition and see the church is guilty of this too. Leaders taking advantage of people, teachers taking advantage of people. That's why Jesus was so furious with, with the Pharisees who, who were burdening the people with all of these extra added rules that they came up with. But as Americans, though, uh, I think we're kind of the opposite <laughs> of, of going that direction. Um, you'll probably agree with me. that This really isn't our problem um, in a lot of ways. For some, for some, yeah, but for the majority of us, this American spirit that we have is a rebellious spirit uh, because we say in our hearts that, and I'm going to do what I want. You don't, don't tell me what to do. Uh, no one tells me what to do. And in saying this, Satan's got you right where he wants you because the anthem of, he of hell is, I did it my way. <laughs> uh, so, so this is the beauty of the gospel because it simultaneously sets us free from the religions of men, from the religion of works, while binding us to God alone. 
So we are accountable to God. So, so we don't do it our way. We do it his way. And his way is the way of the cross, the way of humiliation, the way of rejection, the way of loving your enemies, the way of praying for those who persecute you, the way of caring for the widows and for the orphans, the way of dying to self and dying to those old things that once defined us and now living in Christ and finding our true identity in him. So we can be those who say, God, I can't, (laughs) but you did and you can. So I trust in you. I trust in you fully for all things. And I trust in you alone. I'm done trusting in myself. Paul goes on. He's not uh, done yet with this thought because in Paul's mind, you know, who who would think, who are are the people who would think they're, they're justified through the law, through works of the law? The Jewish people, his people. That's how they would think. Uh, the people who received the law. They received this law, but what, what about everybody else who didn't receive the law? How are they to be saved without the law if you're saved by works of the law? So Paul's trying to, to help the Jews see that if only the Jews have the law, then it would stand to reason only they could be saved. So Paul writes in verse 29, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. And praise God for that, for loving us Gentiles as well. Us for Gentiles also. Verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Does that sound a little bit familiar? If you turn back, flip back real quick to Romans 1.17 and we read, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And here we read in chapter 3, it is by faith and through faith. What is this about? It's about faith. It's about trusting in God who so loved the world. And Christianity is a worldwide religion. It's not, you know, for a specific culture or custom. Jesus came for the world. And so salvation is through faith alone. Paul continues, verse 31 Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. So Paul asked the obvious question here. Can we then live however we want if we have faith? Does the law of God go away? No. No, by no means, he says. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The law is the standard. Remember, the white glove test. and We can never meet it. You can never attain it. Only one has done it. Only one's done it. The Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that immovable door before us is opened by the one and only key, Jesus, who can unlock the way of life and bring us from death to life, giving us his spirit and his righteousness. So now we too can live evermore in accordance with his will, which is revealed to us in the law. And Paul will spend a lot of time in Romans addressing the law because it's very easy for us to develop misunderstandings of the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. And there's many reasons why we have misunderstandings. Uh, And very few of them come from a careful reading of Scripture because Paul takes a lot of time in Romans to address the law. And so we're not going to, you know, examine this question in full this morning. It will happen throughout this series in Romans. Uh, So from the law, we learn God's heart. Uh, We learn his desire for us. 
what he calls good and what he calls evil. We aren't, you know, applying it or upholding it as if we are Jews, you know, keeping the cleanliness and ritualistic laws. We know that those are over. They were fulfilled uh, in Christ, whom they pointed to, whom they necessitated a coming Savior. We know the food laws are over, for God revealed to Peter. You remember that all food is clean. So go, Peter, kill and eat, and don't call unclean what I have now called clean. And we know uh, that God no longer requires uh, circumcision, uh, for the Gentiles to be saved. Uh, so circumcision is, is not required. It's, it's the circumcision of the heart, as Paul clarifies, and Acts 15 solidifies through the Jerusalem council. So we're, we're not to be Judaizers, you know, teaching people, you know, you got to keep these ceremonial laws, these food laws or circumcision uh, to be saved. Those have passed. But there is much more to the law than that. So what Paul is saying here in verse 31 is that we uphold the law as it is the moral law of God. The principles and precepts of the law still apply, and it is from God, and it reveals God's righteousness. And we uphold it not of our own power and not for salvation, but from the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And because of the grace we've been given, we learn to love the things God loves and hate the things that God hates. And the fruit of the Spirit grows within us so that our lives are marked now by that, by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul writes in Galatians after this, he says, against such things there is no law. So in the fruits of the Spirit, we uphold the law. Romans 8, 14 we're going to skip ahead real quick in Romans. Romans 8, 14, we read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So our salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone. And we walk in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit alone who leads us on paths of righteousness. It's about him. It's about his work. And he is calling us to simply come humbly in faith as dearly beloved children adopted by the Father who loves us so, who loves us so. Isn't this an incredible passage? I, I, I hope that this was encouraging for you this morning. I hope that it, it gives us more of a depth of knowledge of, of the gospel and man, its, its impact and, and how it's all tied together in scripture and, and how, how this was necessitated and how God came willingly and gave his life as the propitiation, the atoning cover for us. What a wonderful message. What a freeing message it is to know that we are adopted as children of God. So our relationship has been restored with him. And that is a freeing thing. We can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You receive it as a free gift. And then we live in it. We live in it. And, and by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to accomplish what God calls good. We're able to be his hands and feet here on this earth. So I encourage you, if, you, if this morning, man, you are finding yourself uh, where, where you haven't received it by faith, and through belief in Jesus Christ, I encourage you this morning, today is a day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't wait. Get right with God uh, today. He desires a relationship with you, 
a restored relationship with you. He desires to adopt you as his son or as his daughter and to give you his spirit as that down payment, as that inheritance, uh, so that you can walk in his ways. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. The depth of it, the majesty of it, that you've revealed yourself to us through it and your plans uh, for us, God, your love for us, uh, the, the weight of our sin, God, that, that, that we have sinned against you alone, Lord. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That you came amidst us living in rebellion against you. And you laid your life down for us. Lord, we, we come before you humbly as those who are in desperate need of your grace and your forgiveness. And you give it freely and we praise you for that, Lord. We praise you for the new life we have in Jesus. May we be those who share it who share it, Lord, with others, with those you put in our life, with those you put in our oikoses, the people you've called us to be praying for, to be mindful of, to be reaching out to. So Lord, go before us this week. We thank you that in you we have new life. In you we have forgiveness and redemption. So may we live in that freedom. May we live in that demonstrating you in all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.